Hi everyone, welcome back to our next-gen online service. For those who don't know, and before you think I gained all this extra weight from binging during the circuit breaker, I'm actually expecting my first child. It's finally post-circuit breaker now, but by the time we next get to meet in person, you'll likely be seeing me with a baby in my arms. Praise God! It's funny that even though I feel young enough to be part of the next-gen congregation, I'm literally carrying a next-gen in my tummy right now. And it's apt that the big idea for my message today is, God is faithful to the next generation. We're continuing on our sermon series called Tia, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob read backwards. As we begin today's message, I would like you to see yourselves as the next generation in this big idea. The title of my message is Succession. So whether you're a millennial next gen or a Gen Z next gen, the question for us all today is, how can we participate in the succession of God's faithfulness from one generation to the next? As the next gen, how can we participate in God's faithfulness to our generation and beyond? I believe there are some key lessons we can learn from today's passage. We'll be looking at Genesis 26, and because it's a long chapter, I want to encourage you to read this chapter on your own after the message to learn how the story unfolds. Today's message focuses on Isaac and how the Lord led him and his family during a time of famine. We can learn three lessons from this story on how to participate in God's faithfulness in our lives. Firstly, let's resolve to have a personal relationship with God. At the start of Genesis 26, a severe famine had struck the land, and Isaac moved to Gerar, where Abimelech, king of the Philistines, lived. We also find out that he actually intended to go to Egypt, because in verses 2 to 5, we see that the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt, but do as I tell you. Live here as a foreigner in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. I hereby confirm that I will give all these lands to you and your descendants, just as I solemnly promised Abraham your father. I will cause your descendants to become as numerous as the stars of the sky, and I will give them all these lands. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I will do this because Abraham listened to me and obeyed all my requirements, commands, decrees, and instructions. It was likely that Egypt could offer Isaac and his family and flocks more than what they could get in Gerar. After all, that was where his father Abraham went during a time of famine. But now he was faced with a decision to make. He was asked to give up immediate solutions to a serious problem for a promise which at this point was not close to being fulfilled. Let's remember that Isaac is God's promised heir to Abraham. After many years of waiting, he was basically born with a silver spoon in his mouth. Even in finding a wife, most of it was arranged by his father and his servant, and of course God. Yet at this very point, Isaac had to choose for himself whether he wanted to obey God personally. In the same way, we all reach a point in our spiritual walk where we need to decide for ourselves whether we want to follow God. Even if you grew up in a Christian family, it doesn't make you a Christian, just like how going to an art gallery doesn't make you an artist. Even if you tune into online services and attend cell weekly, it doesn't mean you have a personal relationship with God. Even if you have the most godly mentors or are led by the most spiritual leaders or serving in church, 
it doesn't automatically make your faith stronger. We cannot vicariously live off other people's relationships with God. We need to build our own relationship with God through hearing Him, responding to Him in obedience, and choosing to turn back to Him even when we make mistakes along the way. So let's resolve to have a personal relationship with God. Let's make that choice to take ownership of our faith. For Isaac, we don't see the whole process of his decision-making. But in verse 6, it simply says, So Isaac stayed in Gerar. The Hebrew word for state is yesep, which means to take up residence and become established. And this takes time and effort. So Isaac was essentially resolving to follow what God said and to make that place his home. We see that even though he grew up with all the ingredients to become entitled and spoiled, and he could have chosen to live off Abraham's faith and hope that God would still bless him, Isaac made a personal choice to listen to God and to obey him. For all of us, it's worth thinking, what does having a personal relationship with God mean to you? Knowing God personally will allow us to participate in God's faithfulness to our generation and beyond. The second lesson we can learn from the story of Isaac is to refuse to give up amidst challenges. Moving further down in the chapter, in verses 12 to 16, we see that Isaac had grown so wealthy that the Philistines became jealous and saw him as a threat. And this was how they responded. In Genesis 26, verses 15 to 18, So the Philistines filled up all of Isaac's wells with dirt. These were the wells that had been dug by the servants of his father, Abraham. Finally, Abimelech ordered Isaac to leave the country. Go somewhere else, he said, for you have become too powerful for us. Verse 17, So Isaac moved away to the Gerar Valley, where he set up their tents and settled down. He reopened the wells his father had dug, which the Philistines had filled in after Abraham's death. Isaac also restored the names Abraham had given them. Now, we need to understand that the Gerar Valley was a dry wilderness. Wells were a critical source of water for humans, livestock, and crops. Whether you find a reliable source of water could be a matter of life and death. So for the Philistines to fill in someone's well with dirt was, well, a really dirty act. Yet, we see that Isaac did not react in anger and instead chose to keep the peace. He simply redug and reopened those wells and restored the names that Abraham had given to them. Isaac refused to give up. He simply went on to do the next right thing. But things did not get much easier. He continued to face obstacles in his journey. Looking at verses 19 to 22, Isaac's servants also dug in the Gerar Valley and discovered a well of fresh water. But then the shepherds from Gerar came and claimed the spring. This is our water, they said, and they argued over it with Isaac's herdsmen. So Isaac named the well Isaac, which means argument. Isaac's men then dug another well, but again there was a dispute over it. So Isaac named it Sidna, which means hostility. Abandoning that one, Isaac moved on and dug another well. This time there was no dispute over it, so Isaac named the place Rehoboth, which means open space. For he said, at last, the Lord has created enough space for us to prosper in this land. Well, 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 
Life was pretty hard for Isaac, isn't it? Three times he and his men dug new wells, and when he dug the first two and disputes arose, Isaac moved on, quite literally. He pressed on, and finally, when the third well was dug, there was no dispute over it. This suggests that he had moved sufficiently far enough that people did not come to challenge the new well that was dug. We see how Isaac faced challenges both when reopening old wells and also in digging new wells. But each time he dug deep and responded with resilience and perseverance. You see, being in God's plan doesn't always mean a smooth path with no difficulties. Often, when we choose to do the right thing, we may still face obstacles or even opposition. How do you respond during times of challenges? Would you be willing to do what it takes to overcome them, or would you back down at the slightest inconvenience? Is there a well that the Lord is encouraging you to persevere in digging and not to give up in the face of obstacles? In Grace Assembly's 70 years of history, different generations have gone through various church-building projects, from expanding the old church premises at Tanglin to the building of a new campus at Bukit Batok and then to the redevelopment of Grace at Tanglin. Each generation has its own transitions to navigate and challenges to overcome. For this generation, in this season, it's learning to build our church online. Yes, it's different now that we tune into services online and attend cell and prayer meetings through Zoom. And for some of us, we find it difficult to engage online while for others, we simply miss being able to meet and hang out in person. What challenges are you facing in this season, and how will you respond to them? If we want to experience God's faithfulness to us as the next gen, we need to be a generation who refuses to give up in the face of challenges, especially challenges to our faith. So let's press on and even spur one another on to develop spiritual resilience and perseverance during this season. Lastly, in order to witness God's faithfulness from one generation to the next, let's learn to rest in God's sufficiency. Even though Isaac demonstrated to us how he resolved to have a personal relationship with God and how he refused to give up amidst challenges, he was far from perfect. Earlier in the chapter, in verse 7, it says, When the man who lived there in Gerar asked Isaac about his wife, Rebekah, he said, She is my sister. He was afraid to say, she is my wife. He thought, they will kill me to get her because she is so beautiful. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? That's right, Isaac made the same mistake that his father made. Like Abraham, Isaac also lied that his wife was his sister out of fear of losing his life. Thankfully, God allowed Abimelech to discover the real relationship between Isaac and Rebekah. And not only did he not punish them or chase them out, he even issued royal protection over them. Friends, do you see God's faithfulness at work here? In selfishly trying to protect himself, Isaac was actually risking the lives of everyone else. But God saved Isaac from his foolish actions and provided an even better outcome than before. And it doesn't end here. God's blessing and providence for Isaac continued to be clearly evident after that as well. In Genesis 26 verses 12 to 14, when Isaac planted his crops that year, he harvested a hundred times more grain than he planted, for the Lord blessed him. He became a very rich man and his wealth continued to grow. 
he acquired so many flocks of sheep and goats, herds of cattle and servants that the Philistines became jealous of him. We know that this is divine blessing because the Philistines living in that same land were not experiencing that same bountiful harvest. And also because we see the fulfilment of what God promised to Isaac earlier, that he did not need to go to Egypt to escape the famine. Moving down to verses 23 to 25, From there, Isaac moved to Beersheba, where the Lord appeared to him on the night of his arrival. I am the God of your father Abraham, he said. Do not be afraid, for I am with you and will bless you. I will multiply your descendants and they will become a great nation. I will do this because of my promise to Abraham, my servant. Then Isaac built an altar there and worshipped the Lord. He set up his camp at that place and his servants dug another well. God revealed himself to Isaac and gave Isaac the same promise he gave to his father Abraham. He promised Isaac his divine presence and blessing and the multiplication of offspring. In verses 26 to 33, we further see God's provision in two ways. Firstly, when the Philistines who filled up Isaac's wells with dirt earlier on wanted to make a peace treaty with Isaac. And secondly, when Isaac and his people discovered a new well which would ensure a good water supply for them. By the end of Genesis 26, Isaac was out of famine and had good relations with his neighbours, something that he was struggling with at the start of the chapter. Over and over again, God's sufficiency provided for Isaac every step of the way. It's clear that Isaac is the divinely approved successor of his father Abraham, but not by his own effort or merit. Repeatedly, we see that Isaac was honoured and blessed because of Abraham. In God's promises to Isaac, he said, in verse 5, I will do this because Abraham listened to me and obeyed all my requirements, commands, decrees and instructions. And in verse 24, God said, I will do this because of my promise to Abraham, my servant. It was only because of God's covenant with Abraham that Isaac received the promise of God's presence and blessing. Likewise, friends, for many of us, it's only because of the faith of our Christian parents or spiritual leaders that many of us have benefited from God's blessings. Many of them were first-generation Christians who had to suffer persecution and misunderstandings for their faith. And even more so for all of us, it is because of Christ's work on the cross that we get to experience God's faithfulness in our lives. It's not because we're so great or because we've been godly enough. In fact, here's something that I found to be of great comfort. Did you know that Genesis 26 is the only chapter in Genesis that is devoted to the life of Isaac? Narratively, he was greatly overshadowed by his father Abraham and his son Jacob whom we will hear about in later messages. Isaac didn't seem to have the exceptional faith of his father, nor the exceptional flaws of his son, which would normally make for dramatic stories and great testimonies. He was, honestly, quite an ordinary and uninteresting character compared to his father and his son. Yet, this shows us that God does not need extremely talented or unusually broken people to move his purposes forward. He can just as readily work through those who may seem ordinary but who stay faithful to him. 
That is a truth I hold dear to me, as sometimes I wonder if I'm of less use to God's kingdom because I feel so average and ordinary. Sometimes I think to myself, I'm not especially gifted in anything. There are things I can do, but not like, wow, I'm really good at this. I also don't have a dramatic past that can become some inspiring story of redemption and hope. But God has shown me time and again that, hey, He can still use someone like me, even to preach His word. My prayer is just to stay faithful to God and His calling in my life. And in this upcoming season of motherhood, doubts sometimes creep into on whether I can be a good parent, whether I can bring up this child according to God's ways. So what a comfort it is to know that even as I resolve to have and to keep a personal relationship with God, and as I try my best in refusing to give up amidst challenges, I can rest in God's sufficiency every step of the way. God has been faithful and will continue to be faithful to the next generation. I pray that God's truths will touch you too as you apply them into your life. May we continue to experience His faithfulness in our generation and the next. Would you join me in prayer right now? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for being a faithful God to all generations. We want to participate in what you're doing in our generation and we want to experience your faithfulness in our lives and not just see it from afar. Lord, may we take ownership of our faith and resolve to have a personal and living relationship with you. Even as we face challenges in life and in our faith, help us not to give up easily. Grant us resilience and perseverance, Lord. And help us to trust that ultimately we can rest in your sufficiency. It is not about how hard we strive on our own, but how much we turn to you. I pray that you will allow your word to continue to bear fruit in our lives and keep us close and faithful to you, even as you remain a faithful God who will always be enough for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.